you to take your seats and take your Bibles and open with me, if you would, to Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 2. Romans 16, 1 through 2. Our sermon this morning is entitled, Our Sister Servant. We continue to walk verse by verse through God's Word and Paul's letter to the Romans and our sermon series, God's Righteousness Revealed. We've come to chapter 16. We're in verses 1 and 2 this morning. Our sister servant. The text reads, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the, of the church at Syncrae. Syncrae, I'm sorry that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. This is the word of the Lord. Let us hear it. Let us heed it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, it will stand forever. Southern Baptist Convention being held in Indianapolis, Indiana this summer on its customary second week of June. Lord willing, I plan to be there. One of the chief reasons is to vote for what has been called the Law Amendment. It is called that because it's been proposed by an SBC pastor by the name of Mike Law. It is self-evident that our American society is suffering a lot of confusion over sex and gender issues. There is a significant segment of the population that is either unable or unwilling to sufficiently answer the question, what is a woman? And if those sorts of questions are plaguing our society, then you can bet that similar types of confusions and delusions are capable of entering into our churches and our denominational ranks. Such an apparent confusion reared its ugly head two years ago at the SBC convention in Anaheim, California. When the SBC Credentials Committee, that is the committee that uh, decides if a church is a member in good standing or not, and if they can send messengers to the convention to vote or not. The Credentials Committee was unable to adequately answer the question, what is a pastor? And so they punted that to us to decide. Now I ought not to be surprised by anything anymore I admit that I was surprised by the lack of clarity in the minds of those who ought to know where Southern Baptists stand and have stood on this issue. After all, our confessional statement accurately reflects the clear teachings of the sacred scripture. And it states that the church's two scriptural offices are that of pastor, elder, overseer. That's, that's one office by three names, pastor, elder, or overseer and deacon and while both men and women are gifted for service in the church the office of pastor elder overseer is limited to men as qualified by scripture now to me that statement's pretty clear and more importantly i believe that the bible passages which the statement reflects are abundantly clear as well for instance first timothy 3 2 through 3 uh, Paul lays out that an overseer must be above reproach, 
the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, so on, so on. He must be this, he must be that. Titus, similarly, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 6 says, This is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what has remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So again, you see the interchangeability of elders with overseers in the previous passage. More clearly in 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 14, I do not permit, Paul says, a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Clearly, Paul is rooting this position to not just that the, the earlier, I mean, later he says that the female may not hold the office of elder overseer or pastor. Now he's saying that she ought not exercise the function of overseers, not, not exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. And he roots that not in culture, but in creation. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. 1 Corinthians 14 and following. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the church. It doesn't mean that if you talk to someone today as a woman, you're breaking this. It means no preaching in the corporate setting, right? That this is that the, the gathering of the saints in the worship is not to be overtaken by the preaching of women in this case. Now it's evident that such statements run counter to the culture of uh, the settled feminism in our current moment. And admittedly, we have seen no small number of entities and churches from other denominations promote the preaching and pastoral ministry of women. And certainly we have noted instances where women who preached were considered acceptable because there was no claim to the title of pastor, meaning that some churches separated in their minds the office of pastor from the function of preaching. And I just showed where Paul uh, doesn't allow either. By, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, doesn't allow either. That's a disconnect that I believe to be unbiblical and unwarranted because of the verses that I just read. But I had hoped that with such the existence of such a clear confessional statement on this issue that we could remain committed to the notion that the office of pastor was only appropriate for a qualified man. But apparently I was wrong. Other churches are interpreted the office of pastor, elder, overseer as applying only to the notion that some churches have a senior pastor or a lead pastor. They might agree that the senior pastor should be a man, but they would argue that other types of pastors can be women. And they also believe that it is somehow appropriate to call these female ministers, in this case, pastors. Enter the need for the law amendment. To summarize what the law amendment is, I will quote Heath Lambert, who is the pastor at First Baptist Jacks. 
He writes, the so-called law amendment is an effort to change the SBC Constitution to clarify that the only kind of church in friendly cooperation with the convention is one that, and this is where he quotes the amendment, that it affirms, appoints, or employs only men as any kind of pastor or elder as qualified by scripture. He goes on to say that the brief language of the amendment makes clear that our convention knows what a pastor is and that faithfulness regarding the role of a pastor is necessary for participation with the SBC. The intention, he said, is to correct real confusion that has taken place. I spoke a little bit about that confusion just a moment ago. But the promising thing is this, that I believe that the SBC will do the right thing and will approve the law amendment this summer. To amend our, con our, our convention's constitution, which is what this is hoping to accomplish, it takes a vote of two-thirds majority, two consecutive years in a row. The vote this summer will be the second vote on the amendment. Last year, in New Orleans, the law amendment passed by a 95% vote. So my hope is that this summer in Indy, it will get its needed two-thirds for a second time and be established in our Constitution. Still, there are those who resist this need for clarity on what a pastor is and are trying to persuade Southern Baptists not to vote for the law amendment. Unfortunately, there are all kinds of lies, of spin, of rumors, of misinformation, of obfuscation, of propaganda going around by both inside as well as those outside the convention in an attempt to further confuse and distract from the real and I think straightforward importance of the issue. And strangely, one of the objections that I have heard far too much is that by passing such a motion as the law amendment, that somehow we are devaluing women and minimizing the contributions they have made to the church and to Christian ministry. And that's where that lengthy introduction about an important doctrinal and denominational politics comes into contact with today's text. In our passage, Paul is commending Phoebe to the church in Rome for her valuable service to the church and her contributions to the Christian ministry. This is the same guy that wrote the passages that I read earlier. Just because he affirms and upholds God's particular design for creating both men and women with different roles and functions in society and church and in the home doesn't mean that he devalues the role or contributions of women to the church. Far from it. And this passage does not merely reflect the subjective feelings and opinions of the Apostle Paul, but they are the very words of God as inspired by the Holy Spirit. We see the same kind of heart reflected in the ministry of our Savior Jesus Christ, don't we? Jesus didn't call any women to be His apostles. He chose 12 men to be the apostles. And yet, as we look at the ministry of Jesus, 
he was followed by a devoted group of women disciples who would minister to him and follow him virtually everywhere. Listen, let me tell you a secret that every one of you already knows and every pastor I know also knows. If it were not for women in the church, things would not get done. Uh, we, the valuable and devoted service of Christian women is inestimable. I'm, I'm unaware of how we could function or perform any significant ministry without their service. And what I love so much about you and this church is that I know that you agree with the Bible and with the SBC Statement of Faith on these issues. We don't have the women of this church trying to usurp and uh, reel against the authority uh, structures that God has designed. And that's the Lord's doing, I believe. And it's to Him that we will pay the credit and then pray that that continues. I rejoice then that the women of this church see that by reflecting the roles that God has designed and performing the functions that God has prescribed as female image bearers, that they know that they find their, their true freedom to be women. And that they experience genuine flourishing. And not only that they experience the genuine flourishing, but that the men of the church experience genuine flourishing, the church experiences flourishing, and their kids experience the flourishing as a result of that. So without further ado, I have two overarching points to make from the passage. And the first of those is Paul's commendation of Phoebe. Paul's commendation of Phoebe. He said, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Now Paul is writing from Corinth, there in the south of Greece. Paul is writing from Corinth and he's writing, as you know, the church in Rome. So he's writing to the Romans. He is uh, going to greet in the next section all the people that he knows in Rome and he's going to send his greetings to them and he's also got a group of people with him that he sends greetings from there in Corinth but what he needs and what he has is someone that is with him in Corinth that is going to be traveling to Rome that's where Phoebe comes in because Phoebe is almost certainly the letter carrier of the, the, of the letter to the Romans. The one who comes to the church and delivers this letter to the church that Paul has written. There's, see, it's outside of the, the Roman military, there was no postal service during this time. If you were going to write a letter to someone, you needed to find someone headed that way. So this is Paul's doing that. And, and so Phoebe is almost certainly the letter carrier in this, in this case. And she it needs, you know, you, you have someone show up out of nowhere at your church. Yeah, I got a letter from Paul. And you go, what? How can we know if this is right or true or if, if, if she is who she says she is? 
So there needs to be a, a, some kind of letter of recommendation, some kind of letter of commendation to come with this about who this person is that has just shown up in their midst. There is a need for these kinds of, because you can't Google them. You can't, you know, you can't look on their Facebook and see who this person is. You can't, you can't run a background check even about who this individual is. Now, I want you to just think about that for a moment. What would it be like to have the original manuscript of Paul's letter to the Romans in your hand? What would it be like to have that? I mean, it's a good thing that we don't have those because people would probably bow down and worship it or something like that today. But just the fact that in her possession, as she traveled those dangerous roads, as it were, from Corinth to Rome, even by water, she's holding Scripture. She's holding the letter to the Romans. What would, it, what would our Bibles be like without Paul's letter to the Romans in it? Just, just think of, just think and contemplating those things. The, the providence of God, we know that in the sovereignty of God, that's not a possibility that we might lose that. But she didn't know that. And she's carrying that from one place to another. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great preacher, said, Never was there a greater burden carried by such tender hands. The theological history of the church through the centuries was in the manuscript which she brought with her. The Reformation was in that baggage. The blessings of multitudes in our day was carried in those parchments. How many people has God used uh, the letter to the Romans to save? We could name many ourselves and noted individuals. In this commendation that, that Paul gives, I want to draw out four descriptions from the text about who she is that that he that he uh, commends her first thing I want to you to see is that she's a saint that she is a saint he says to them to welcome her in the Lord this is she's someone who is in Christ who is in the Lord welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of saints now he's talking to the saints for them their to give her a welcome that is saintly, that is a, a Christian welcome, because she too, they're saints, and she too is a, a one of the saints. So Phoebe, in this case, and by the way, all that we know about Phoebe is written in these two verses. That's all we know. They're to welcome her in the Lord in a way that's worthy of the saints. She's a saint. Now, when I say that Phoebe is a saint, I don't mean that she's some sort of super Christian. I don't mean that her personal holiness exceeds all of the rest of us and that we're able to receive grace by venerating St. Phoebe. I mean that she is a saint in that she is a Christian. In that she is a saint in that all who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ are saints. 
that she's not some canonized super Christian, but she is indeed a Christian. So to be a saint is simply to be one of God's holy ones. That's what, that's what it means to be a saint, to be a holy one. But it has more to do with her being in a position of being holy than her personal holiness or even her progress in holiness. She doesn't get more and more holy until she reaches sainthood. As soon as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're set apart by God, for God, belonging to God. You are holy positionally and the, the progression starts. It's important that we get that right. That you don't get better and better and better and better until you are justified. You're not, your sanctification doesn't lead to your justification. That's exactly backwards. By faith and faith alone, you stand justified. You stand righteous. You stand set apart. It's positionally sanctified. Declared holy and made a saint right then. Now you may be filled with all kinds of sin still. There may be a, there's a, a significant remnant of sin within each and every one of us. And we still practice sin. We don't, this side of heaven, don't get to entire sanctification. We don't get to glorification this side of heaven. We're always somewhere in the middle as far as our personal progress of holiness. But she is a saint and to be weaponed as saint, someone who is in the Lord. What's interesting is that we look at her name, Phoebe. We can learn a little bit about her just by that because the name that she, that she bears comes from the feminized form of the moon goddess. And so uh, it indicates that she was probably raised in paganism, that her parents... Uh, named her a pagan sort of name, and that she was saved out of that pagan lifestyle and brought into faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that she lives in Sincre. I keep saying that wrong. I had to look it up on Google. How do you say this? Sincre. It's Sincre. So just I'll say it confidently, but I keep mess, I keep messing up the two at the end. I, see, I keep wanting to say syncrete. No, that's it. That's right. <laughs> anyway, that's where she's from. Corinth lies on a little isthmus. There's water on both sides. A little isthmus that goes down at the south of, of Greece. Corinth, there was, uh, if you wanted to go one direction, there was a port on that side of the isthmus. If you wanted to go the other direction, there was a port on that side. And they, they had a, a way to like carry, it was eight miles across there. They had a, a, a system that they could like take stuff off one boat coming from one side and ship it across like basically like a conveyor belt sort of thing to the other side and put it on a boat over there and head the different direction. Well, Syncrea is on the eastern side of that right there next to Corinth. Paul would have been able to observe Phoebe and get to know her because he spent over 18 months in that area at, at one time. And so he could have known her character as a result of that. So he's commending her as a saint. 
Second thing about her, she's a sister. Our sister Phoebe is what he calls her. And it is a reminder that this is not obviously, he's not saying my sister, even though he could have, but he's saying our sister. He's speaking to the church and that Phoebe, being a Christian, being someone who is in the Lord, is a child of God along with us. Not all people are, are, are children of God in the sense that they're saved, in the sense that they're um, redeemed. But she is. And so because of that, we're, we're described this way in John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. All who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And so this is someone who has received Jesus, and she is therefore demonstrating the, the birth or the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in her life. She's been born of God. And she's a sister because we too who have believed have been born of God and are children of God. We're in the family of God. And so when we're part of the household of God, which is the church, she's been adopted into the family of God and bound by love. We're one in the Holy Spirit. We're members of this same household. Remember Jesus when he was in that house that was so full to the brim that people were pouring outside. And it was, it, the message came to Jesus as he was teaching in this, this overflowing house that his mother and his brothers were outside. They'd come to kind of, they were trying to rescue him because they thought he was acting like a madman. And Jesus looked at the crowds and said, Who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters, but them who do the will of my Father who is in heaven? It's just a, a reminder that when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are adopted into the family of God. You're rescued out of the, the being a child of wrath. You're rescuing no longer from your slavery to the elemental principles of the world. Like, like Phoebe and that paganism that she grew up in, she's rescued out of those elemental principles. Galatians 4, 3-7 said, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. I think that, that passage is illuminating in that it says those who are adopted by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are sons. That means even women who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are considered sons of God. Why is that? Is that a demotion or is that devaluing women? No, it's because in those days, daughters didn't inherit. So these daughters then, if you're a daughter of God, you are risen to the status of inheritors, heirs. You are, this is a promotion, not a demotion in this sense. 
So she, Phoebe, is our sister Phoebe, who is an heir of the Lord, a full heir, adopted into the family of God, a child of God, and treat her this way. Paul's going to write to Timothy that in the church, he says, Timothy, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. And so this is what he's, this is the kind of language of the household of God, our sister Phoebe. Thirdly, he says that she's a servant. That she's a servant. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Syncrea. A servant of the church at Syncrea. So she's, he's modeling or, or, or highlighting her contributions and her service to the church that is there. Now, that word, servant, in this case, is a very particular word for servant. It is the word diakonos. It is the word from which we get deacon. And there have certainly been those who have read this as a deaconess of the church at Syncrea. A servant, a deaconess, a deacon of the church at Syncrea. It can refer, of course, to this word, to that specific office of deacon that we said. There are two offices in the church. There is that office of pastor, elder, overseer, and then there is that office of deacon. In Philippians 1, it talks about pastors and or overseers and deacons in the church that he's writing to. These are the two offices. It can refer to that. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. 1 Timothy 3.8, just under the, the, the qualifications for the elders, he says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. 1 Timothy 3.12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. And so is this applying to Phoebe? Well, there have been some commentators that have said, yes, she's a deacon that, that holds this office in, in that way, that, that in this case the, the women who are referred to in 1 Timothy may be not the wives of the deacons, but may be referring to a, a separate class of, of female deacons. And then there are others who would say, no, this is just a general word for a servant that she's not capital D deacon but she's a deacon in that she's a servant in the church and those lines usually fall upon what tradition of church that you fall in that's what they end up saying with regard to that Paul uses uh, the same word trot twice to refer to Jesus himself in Romans 15.8, he says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant, Christ became a deacon to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Galatians 2.17, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a deacon of sin, a servant 
of sin. He says, certainly not. Same word can be used of Paul and his co-workers. He uses it of himself. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? We are deacons. We are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, He made us sufficient to be ministers in this case, deacons, servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians 6, 4, But as servants of God, as as deacons of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Ephesians 3, 7, Of this gospel I was made a minister, a deacon, a servant. Twice, both times in Romans 13, the same word for servant or deacon is used of civil rulers and authorities of the civil government. He is God's deacon, God's servant for your good. And it can also, at least it seems this word can be used to describe the actions of Christians in its verbal form. The word says, as each has received a gift. This is 1 Peter 14. As each has received a gift, use it to serve, to deek, to deacon one another, to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. I, I, I say all that and go through that all that detail just to point out that you can't come to a, a conclusion on whether she holds the office of deacon or if she, this is just referring to, to Phoebe as a Christian servant who has offered valuable valuable ministry and service to the church there in Sincrea. What I will say is this, is that if we understand deacons rightly, then we understand that deacons are servants in the church, right? That, that, that that's the call for servants. And also that there is a need for genuine women service in the church, whether we call them deacons or not, I don't care. I think sometimes we get too focused on having a title rather than, than the, the point is that we that she valuably served the church, whether she had a title or not was but and there are there is specific women style ministry to be done. There are women baptismal candidates that need other women to, to help them with regard to preparing for baptism. There are there is the care of the sick. There is the the feeding and hospitality ministries. And all of these are are so well done by so many by so many women, among other things, of course. But that churches need valuable women servants and, and women offer valuable contributions in this way. The fourth thing that we see about Phoebe is that she's a supporter. Supporter of the church there, supporter of, of Christ's kingdom and his ministry. It says she has been at the very end, she has been a patron of many and of myself as well, a benefactor, a, a patron. When I was in Colombia recently with uh, Pastor Alvaro down there, we were in a restaurant and 
We had need to exchange some. We were out in the boonies in many ways, except for, I mean, there weren't a lot of places to exchange American money. Let's say that. And so we were in this restaurant, and Alvaro could just look at this guy and tell that he's Venezuelan, which amazes me, you know, because I couldn't tell. And he could tell that this guy is Venezuelan. He heard him talk or, or whatever and could tell that this guy is Venezuelan. Venezuelan currency is worth zilch. And so uh, they are wanting to pay, they're wanting American dollars. They, they need American dollars to pay. And so where we were was not too far from Venezuela. So Alvaro said, so we needed to, to exchange some dollars for some Colombian currency and we thought we could kill two birds with one stone. He could benefit this guy that we were talking to and we could benefit as well. So Alvaro just kind of pulls the guy off the side and said, listen, we've got some American dollars that we want to exchange. Have you got some Colombian dollars that you can give us a good exchange rate for? And this guy's face lit up like, uh, and, and I don't know how he had this much money on him, but he had enough that he could exchange a hundred bucks, you know, which was about 400 of his bucks. I don't carry around that kind of cash myself, but, but he did. And so he just right then and there, and he talked to Alvaro in an elevated way at this point. In fact, I could see as he whispered, everybody else at the table, uh, when he called Alvaro El Patron, patron, uh, they're like, whoa, Alvaro, you, you, you know, you're something, you know, you're this guy, you're this guy's best friend now, because uh, he elevated, he started uh, speaking to them in this honorific way, in many ways, and and so she is a, a benefactor, supporter of many. She supported uh, Paul. I think about the Masters tournament every year. Um, I like golf. I like to watch the Masters. I'm not yet been able to be a patron at the Masters. I hope one day to be. I have to actually enter into the lottery, I guess, to do that. But uh, they don't call the people that come to the Masters fans. They are patrons because they're snooty. You know? <laughs> so they, they, but, but they want, fan comes from fanatic and patron is someone who's supporting our tournament. And so it's a better word, probably, and they're right about that, even though it is snooty. They won't allow them on the broadcast to say fans. They've got to say patrons. Every other tournament, they say fans. On the Masters tournament, they say patrons. Because they're the supporters of the tournament, in this case. The point is that Phoebe is, is a lot like Lydia, it seems, as a character in the New Testament. Lydia, you remember was from Thyatira and that she was a seller of purple dyed goods and that she had servants and a big household for people to stay and that uh, she traveled all around and uh, the Lord saved her, opened her heart and her, to, to pay attention to the things that, uh, that Paul was saying. And she in fact says to Paul after she saved, if and after she's baptized, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And all of them, she and says, she prevailed upon us. So, kind of in a in a summary of those things, that she's a saint, a sister, 
that she's uh, a servant and a supporter. Douglas Moo says clear by what Paul says about her here that she was a prominent member of the church at Syncrie, that she was actively involved in ministry, and that she was planning a trip to Rome to take My second point would be much faster. The first one was that Paul's commendation of Phoebe. The second one is Paul's commands concerning Phoebe. Paul's commands. The first thing that they're to do is they're to accept her in a worthy way. That they are to welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Meaning receive her. This is my commendation. This, she is all of these things that I've just said. Receive her. Receive this this um, this letter. She may even be the one to read it. Receive her in a way that is worthy of the saints. Welcome her. Warmly greet her. Receive her uh, in the communion as a Christian and as someone who's been faithful and with the respect and admiration that she deserves as someone who's served the church well. The second thing he says is to assist her in whatever she needs. And help her in whatever she may need from you. I don't know what kind of ministry she might be planning on doing among them. What kind, how long she was going to stay. What, but whatever she was doing, whether by travel or, or even uh, her business relationship or whatever it is that she had. Whether it's just help finding a place to stay, uh, meals, where to go for this or that. Whatever they, she may need from you. Help her is that. Go, go out of the way, not just to receive her and welcome her, but to assist her in whatever it is that she needs because she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. She's shown herself worthy in this regard. Let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time.